0: Today, we're going to delve into the very mind of God, or at least we're going to attempt to. And admittedly, we are not the first to ponder this question, but the answer we wind up with, well, we may actually be the first to wind up there. And it is both revelatory and maybe surprising, but perhaps in ways that you don't expect. All of this on the way to answering the question, what's God's personality type? Welcome to the Sky Pilot podcast that explores questions of faith, spirituality, and religion. I'm Dan Matthews, and I don't have all the answers, but I do enjoy the questions. Welcome to the podcast where every question is an invitation into a spiritual quest, and you're invited along for the journey. So, as I've mentioned before in this podcast, I think a number of times, I was a psychology major in college with the intention of going to graduate school, getting my Ph.D. in clinical psychology. I love the field of psychology. After college, I worked in a state mental health facility in Knoxville, Tennessee with kids, and I loved it. I made $9,000 a year, but I still loved it. Our daughter Kate completed her graduate degree in school psychology last year and now works as a school psychologist, and the two of us love to talk to each other about various aspects of psychology. And of all the subjects we discuss, nothing gets us probably more excited or animated than a new personality inventory or assessment. Now, I'll tell you, the first one I ever remember taking was something called the LEAD Inventory. And I don't think it even exists or is available anymore. But basically, it said that everyone has a leadership style, and there are four basic leadership styles, and they are represented by the four letters of the word lead, L-E-A-D. The four types are, I think this is correct, leader, evangelist, analyst, and doer. Now, each new experience with some sort of personality test normally offers me a learning that I hadn't thought about before, And the learning in this one was that everyone has a leadership style. I had always thought that the person at the front of the group, the front of the room, was the leader. But this test helped me realize that often the person in the leadership position, let's say the person up front who we assume is the leader, is standing up, talking poetically, waxing boldly about their rationale for, say, setting up the chairs, while the D, the doer, has quietly set up the chairs in the back of the room. That's a leadership style. And then shortly thereafter, I learned about the Myers-Briggs. And even if you don't know what the Myers-Briggs is, you probably heard of the letters that are used to describe various personalities. So someone might be described as something like an ENPJ or an ISTP. This one helped me truly understand the difference between introvert and extrovert, and what those words actually mean. And this is one that almost everyone in our society gets wrong because it has nothing to do with behavior. It has to do with energy. An extrovert is energized by being around people. An introvert is energized by being alone. Introverts can be extremely outgoing and gregarious people, but they're burning through energy as they do that. Extroverts can seem reserved in some settings, but generally they need time around people to recharge their batteries. Remember, if you want to know if you're an I or an E, if you want to know if you're an introvert or an extrovert, do not look at your behavior. Look at what settings energize you. Another personality inventory that I really like and Kate, our daughter, loves is the Enneagram. At first glance, this one seems fairly simple because there are nine personality types and each is represented by a number from one to nine. I'm a personality type one on the Enneagram. Now, the numbers don't have value, so higher numbers aren't better, nor are lower numbers better. They're just arbitrary markers for these personality types. The one personality type on the Enneagram is called the Reformer, and this person's view of the world is that everything, Everything can always be made better. Everything can be improved. My wife, Sarah, would attest to this and say, this description fits me to a T. Change and improvement are, for me, fun. I'm always chasing some sort of improvement in some aspect of my life. I love cooking because it allows me to constantly tinker with recipes, trying to make them better every single time I make them. For the one change and improvement are fun at best and a bit of a compulsion at worst. I recently received a message from someone who was trying to scam me online, and it was all I could do to refrain from coaching them as to how they could make their pitch more believable and successful. So I'm online reading something about the Enneagram recently, and I come across the site of someone who says they have personality-typed God using both the Myers-Briggs and the Enneagram. Okay, this checked all the boxes for me. We get to talk about psychology, personality, and God. Count me in. Now, I've been in personality inventory workshops offered within church settings that have attempted to say what Jesus's personality type is. There isn't a big reveal here because all the ones that I've attended have always said basically the same thing. Jesus is all of them. Jesus is the perfect balance of everything, which at one level you say, okay, that kind of makes sense. At another level, I wind up walking away a little disappointed because I didn't learn anything. The answer seems safe, depriving us of any real information and therefore cheating us out of an opportunity to improve and get better. Remember, I'm a one after all. There's always an opportunity for improvement. Well, anyway, this website I ran across actually did give God a personality type, which i would not seen anybody do before. And it shocked me. I mean, Jesus seems to be a challenge if you want to offer a personality type for him. But Jesus would be a whole lot easier than trying to give the Lord God Almighty a personality type. And it just seems like it's a lot more difficult. So according to this site, if you are typing God using the Myers-Briggs, then God is an E-N-F-J. Now, I will admit that I can't even get past the first letter of this. So God is an extrovert? I mean, is God an introvert or is an extrovert? I, is God energized by being alone or being in the presence of others. If God's an introvert, then the eternity of alone time that I assume existed before humanity probably gave God lots of bankrolled energy to use interacting with humanity in the years to come. But would God as an I even need or want to create humanity? And if God is an E, an extrovert, then That time before creation must have been enormously draining, and there oh, I can go on. Anyway, I won't go on, but suffice it to say that every single letter of this personality type brings up endless questions of a similar nature. Now, God also gets typed on this website using the Enneagram, and I will say that I was secretly hoping for God to be a one. I mean, a one is called the reformer. The reformer is constantly looking for opportunities and ways to make things better, to improve the world. Bingo, nailed it. God has to be a one. But that isn't the personality type that the site assigned to God. They said God is a nine. Now, there is an organization called the Enneagram Institute, and their website now, this is a different website than the one that typed God. The Enneagram Institute website describes the nine, as the peacemaker, which they then briefly describe as the easygoing, self-effacing type. The other words they use to describe this type are receptive, reassuring, agreeable, and complacent. The sight that personality-typed God describes God in this way. God is an Enneagram nine because, and this is a quote, God likes to feel in control, particularly of his physical environment. For Enneagram 9's, freedom and independence are important. As in Enneagram 9, God is humble, receptive, trusting. He places a strong emphasis on maintaining harmony and avoiding conflict. I read that and my reaction is, huh? God literally created all of, well, everything. God created absolutely everything, period. So does humble really capture the personality of God? Maybe I don't really know the meaning of the word humble. So let's look it up. Let's see what pops up. Okay. First definition to appear. Having or showing a modest or low self-estimate of one's own importance. Yeah, that's it. Absolutely. No, just kidding. That's a total miss for me. Look, by definition, God created, as I just said earlier, everything. And if you subscribe to the ancient Jewish understanding of creation, and I do, that God continues to breathe life into creation to keep it in existence. All of creation exists because God is constantly willing it to exist, which I think God therefore has a pretty clear understanding of God's own importance if that is the case. And I, I don't know, humble, humble, Humble doesn't really describe the nature of God for me in that case. Now, I heard from someone the other day who was describing the nature of God, and this is how the person described our Creator. God is strong, powerful, decisive, of absolute clarity all the time. God always has a plan and is working that plan out. Now, you can get on God's team or you can fight the will of God and be the enemy of the righteous, but God's plan and purpose are going to be achieved in this world because God wills them to be done and God always prevails, period. Now, this person wasn't really offering this as their understanding. No, this was offered as an indisputable fact. And as I heard these words, I began to ponder what I knew about this person who had such absolute clarity about the personality and temperament of God. Now, before I finish that story, a brief detour and the revelation that I received from this detour and this story with this person. A number of years ago, I read a book called "The Five Love Languages" by Gary Chapman. This book really helped the way I talked to couples who are having conflict in their relationship. Here's the basic premise: there are five love languages. These are, in essence, five modalities in which most of us experience love, and they are acts of service. Receiving gifts, quality time, words of affirmation, and physical touch. My primary love language is acts of service followed by receiving gifts. But here's where Dr. Chapman really changed my world. If you're in a relationship with someone and you want to express your affection for them, you will normally do it in the language which makes you feel loved. But if that person has a different love language, then you're going to totally miss, no matter how sincere your intention is. The radical learning from Chapman's book, The Five Love Languages, is not the languages themselves, but the understanding of how remaining rooted in your own language is going to limit your interactions with others and people you care about. Now, back to the interaction with the person I was talking about earlier. Remember the person who was certain of the power, strength, and determination of God. God always has a plan and is working that plan out, and you can get on God's team You can fight the will of God if you want to. You can be an enemy of the righteous, but God's plan and purpose are going to be achieved in this world because God wills them to be done and God will always prevail, period. Okay, I'm better now. As I heard this, I thought about what I know about this person. Well, in previous interactions, I had realized that this person is an Enneagram 8. The 8 is often referred to as the challenger. The 8 is powerful and dominating. The eight is known for being decisive, willful, and confrontational. You see where this is going? This is like Gary Chapman's book, all over again. Ask someone to describe the nature of God as she understands it or he understands it, and it dawned on me that you're likely to get a description of God that seems, well, pretty close to the personality of the person who's describing God. One of the phrases I often use in prayer is increasingly faithful. If asked to pray for a group, I will often end the prayer with a phrase that asks God to help us become increasingly faithful servants of God. My quest was for a God who will help us improve and become a little bit better each day. And now that I look back on it, I think of course that's what I said, I'm an Enneagram 1. Of course I'm drawn to a God who's going to help us improve a little bit. Every single day. Want to know what God's personality type is? Well, the obvious answer is we have no idea. We are finite and God is infinite. And describing God as having a personality type is as silly as asking God's hair length and color. But, but, and this is big, it doesn't mean there's no value in this conversation. Because if you know your personality type, then you probably have a good idea now of the attributes that you're going to assign to the nature of God. And doing so is okay, as long as you can realize that you're describing God in these terms says more about you than it does the actual nature of God. And sometimes when you pick your own language to describe God, if you don't allow some wiggle room. If you don't allow for others to use their own language, you may unwittingly exclude those people from experiencing and encountering God in their way. I like to think of God as a loving force who is trying to help all of us improve. Others of different personality types see God in a myriad of ways. Some see God with the one true plan, and our job is to get on board. Others see God as a fluid and creative spirit, spontaneously and creatively making things up as we go along. Others see God as the caring healer, and I could go on and on. The point here is not to figure out what God's one true personality type is, but instead to figure out what we can learn from each other, with each other, about each other as we listen to the varied and different ways that the people around us and across the world describe who they understand God to be. That's all for today. If you'd like to get in touch with me to ask a question, suggest a topic for a future episode, or just tell me what you thought about this episode, I would love to hear from you. My email address is dan at skypilot.zone. On your spiritual journey, may you ask questions, seek answers, and boldly go wherever the quest takes you. Thanks for listening to Sky Pilot Faith Quest. I invite you to send me a question or leave a review. And remember, the sign of a strong faith, solid religion, or healthy spiritual journey is not certainty, but that you keep asking questions.